Welcome to the Holistic Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Blair, wife, mother of three, author of Holistic Wealth, and founder of the Institute on Holistic Wealth. The show will showcase various experts in the key pillars of holistic wealth. Each week, we deliver the best information on how to become holistically wealthy and live your best life. Today, I have a very, very special guest with me, and that's KJ Delantonia. And she is now the New York Times bestselling author of The Chicken Sisters. KJ, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I think you're the first person to introduce me that way. And I like the sound of it. <laughs> I am so happy for you. I'm bubbling over, I'm covered in goosebumps. And to have you on the show today means a lot to me because for some reason, when you're an author, you just have this joy for other authors and, you know, the, the amount of work and passion that goes into it. And like, I am so happy for you. Can you tell us about how the journey started with the Chicken Sisters? I know you've always had a passion for fiction and you've been in nonfiction for a while. So I know that was a transition too. So just wanted to start there to get your sense of how that transition took place. Sure. So I went from being a lawyer to being a nonfiction journalist. I suspect I had always wanted to write fiction, but there are not a lot of gold stars in fiction and not a lot of jobs that you can get where people will actually pay you to do fiction. Uh, not a very good, clear ladder to climb. And those are all things that I was raised to think were very, very important. So it was hard for me to admit the real goal. And instead, I went from the respectable law career that my parents had hoped that I would have to, you know, what they considered a significantly less respectable journalism career, but at least still, you know, able to, to show progress, to show uh, success. And it was only after many, and I loved it, I, I might add, you know, um, so it was only after uh, many years of doing that, the, the stars kind of lined up. I had turned in my nonfiction book. I felt like if I wrote a novel right at that moment, agents and editors would at least look at it. Like I had enough of a platform that they would give it a look. Now that uh, platform's not going to sell. Well, my platform's not going to sell a bad book. There are people with a platform that will sell a bad book. I am so far from that. So it still needed to be like the very, very best thing that I could possibly do. But I had always wanted to do it. My I didn't end up going back to my steady job at the New York Times for lots of reasons. So I had that space. I had the advance from the nonfiction book. And it just it just, you know, it was a good time. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. That's absolutely fascinating because I know there's so many people out there who've, for instance, written, you know, nonfiction and they're trying to make the decision to break into the fiction world and they're wondering, you know, as you mentioned, even with the platform, even with the message that my readers are used to and even getting the book deal is, you know, how, how does that happen? So, um, yes and no. People can sell fiction on a proposal, but that's for an established, like Stephen King can sell fiction on a proposal or, you know, Rachel Heron. She's a, a known thriller writer. Like she's got a history. She can sell fiction on a proposal. I had to have an actual whole book. Um, it didn't have to be perfect because, you know, the expectation would always be that you would work with an editor. It needed to be as close as I could get it, which is a different standard. 
before I even reached out to agents. Now, as it turned out, it was super easy for me to get an agent. My nonfiction agent did not want to represent it, but she had a colleague who did. And that was a a walk in the park, but I was ready for it, it not to be. That was a piece of luck. I actually didn't think that my nonfiction agent would take it on because she does very little fiction and not really of the commercial. That's just not her thing. So I thought I was going to do the regular, you know, I was ready to go out with pitching, but with the definite knowledge that nobody was not going to reply to me, which is very common. And I, when I got my first agent, I was not in that position. You know, I have done the other round of it. I actually got my first agent with a parenting memoir, which I never, we never, I ended up deciding that I didn't want to sell, but it was before I had the New York Times job. It was before I had done much of anything. Um, Well, I'm putting aside getting an agent a very long time ago with a friend of mine to co-write a book about reading with babies and toddlers and twos. And in, in both of those times, we were, you know, cold emailing people and in many cases getting just silence. So, you know, I've I've been there. I didn't think I was going to have to do that this time. And I was right. But that's what it's like the first time. And that's okay. (laughs) And so for the book itself, I know there's a story behind it in terms of your upbringing and where you lived and having actually, I think it was two restaurants, right? There There are two restaurants there too, that kind of, you know, served as the the motivation, the foundation of the story. Can you walk us through how that impacted your work and the desire to craft the story? Sure. So it actually wasn't where I live. I grew up in Texas and Kansas, but my folks had grown up in a very small town in Kansas, a different one than where I ended up eventually. Well, not that I ended up as a kid. So we went back to my parents' small town, which was actually two neighboring small towns, for every single holiday and every single summer. And then I spent a lot of time there, um, kind of envying my cousins, the small time town life that they had there. I was an, uh, I was an only child and I moved around a lot and, um, you know, I didn't feel like anybody knew my name and everybody knew theirs. So that was cool. And there were these two restaurants, Chicken Annie's and Chicken Mary's. <laughs> and, and they're still there actually. And that really fascinated me and absolutely stuck with me. And I, I've i had a sort of a fiction file labeled Chicken Annie's because Chicken Annie's was our restaurant of choice. Most pe- families only went to one or the other when I was growing up for ages and just trying to find the right story to to go with it, which makes it sound like I was like, I will try this story. It wasn't like that at all. It was just more sort of constant noodling and sometimes throwing a thought into a, a document. So then when I really sat down, I mean, there really was, there was just a moment was like, okay, I am going to, I'm going to write a novel. Like that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I pulled that up and there wasn't a whole lot in it. And I just kind of started from, from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So how long did it take you from start to finish for the entire novel? So I noodled around sort of like thinking out who are, who are the people and who are the characters and what was the basic premise sort of over the summer in the background while I was working on my nonfiction book, because the way that that might would work would be that I would, I might finish a chapter and send it off. And then I would have a little gap while I waited for something. So I I did tiny little bits of work. And then in October or so, I sent the whole, like the whole manuscript was now pencils down and out of my hands because the editor had it. You can't mess with something that you've sent to the editor. You're just going to cause trouble, right? Because she, she had it. So lo and behold, 
So it was, nan- it was NaNoWriMo, right? It was November. And I was like, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo. I'm going to actually, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write a draft of this book. And I did write a draft of about the first two thirds of it. So at the end of uh, NaNoWriMo, I had part of a draft and I can tell it's not very good yet. Like it's got strengths. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a good writer. I can, I can tell a good story when I write a scene. It's got good dialogue and the people move around and everything. And you'd be like, yes, this is very good. It has nothing to do with the story that I want to read. And I don't care about the characters. But as far as the writing goes, it's very good. So, and I could just tell that there was no core to the story. Like it didn't, uh, you know, as a very experienced essay editor, I could see that I had not kind of come full circle with saying anything. Just wasn't there. And I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't know what would be the next step to figuring that out. And I got extremely lucky because right about that time, we had Jenny Nash on my podcast, which is the hashtag am writing podcast. Jenny is a book coach, which you could also say developmental editor. That's a little bit more of a familiar phrase for most people. You know, she helps people go from either idea to book or draft to book or wherever you are. She will help you. And I was super resistant to this idea. I very much felt like, well, if I can't do this by myself, what what business do I even have doing it, right? You know, I should just, if I can't even manage to like get a first draft down, I shouldn't do anything at all. And if I hire somebody, then it's not really my story. And after we interviewed Jenny, I sort of totally hung up and I thought about what she'd said she had done. And, you know, the idea of having a teammate on the book was really irresistible. So I applied to work with her because she had an application at, the, at that point and ended up hiring her. And it was, I mean, it's an investment. It's not, it's, it's, she's, she, she's a lot more expensive now, to be honest. But at the time, even at the time, it was a significant investment. And, you know, she, read what I had and we dug in and she really brought me, she made me sort of peel it back to the very core to figure out what the story was. And then, and then I put things back in after we had figured that out, because that's what I had not really understood was the need for a really structured and fairly simple story. I had this very intricate and insane plot going. There are so many twists and turns that did not uh, make it into the and the final book is fairly twisty and turny. So yeah, when I tell you there was a lot in there that did not end up in there. Yeah, there, there was. And it, yeah, it's long as it is. Anyway, Jenny really helped me and working with her, we got it to the point where I felt like I was ready to send it out uh, to my old agent. And then she, like I said, she was able to just magic me up the perfect fiction agent for me and um that she edited it too my my agent edits um so we did an edit if probably more than one but i don't even remember at this point and then we sent it out to editors and and there were uh there was a fair amount of interest and i took some i took a preemptive off- offer rather than having an auction because there was one editor in particular that i really liked wow so all of this work with jenny on the book All of that was before. All of that was before. Because even for me, well, especially for me, honestly, I really felt like I only had one shot. Like, you know, if I started sending out cruddy fictional manuscripts to people, they weren't going to forget that it was me and read the next one. They would remember. So what I sent out needed to be as good as I could get it, even though it was not, you know, by any means, the final draft didn't need to be perfect. It needed to have all the pieces, you know, nobody was going to come back and be like, well, this is kind of good, but I think I'd like it better if 
I don't find the protagonist very likable. So could you rewrite it? I didn't feel like anybody was going to do that. It needed to, it needed to have all of its pieces before it went out the door. Hearing about your process is just amazing because I always advise them not to go that route, obviously, as an author. It was very slow. And I want to say that one of my best friends is an extremely successful self-published romance author. She's got 30 plus books. She's been on the USA Today bestseller list, I think, seven times now, including with her last book. It's Serena Bowen. You know, she has an editor. She uh, she doesn't just throw things out there and see if they stick. No successful indie author that I know is just throwing things out there and seeing if they stick. There, There's a process. You know, she's faster than me, obviously. But no, there is a process. And she is not only, you know, making sure that all the commas are in the right place and somebody has typo checked it. It's not just that. She has somebody help, you know, reading for story. And I mean, she's a lot more experienced than I am. So she doesn't need probably nearly as much as what I I, I needed, but no, somebody reads her drafts and says, you know, that, you know, that end was too easy, or I just didn't really believe that the hero would leave her at that point. So, and then she fixes it. Yes, no, for sure. And even for holistic wealth, I went through five different editors. I had a book coach like you in the very beginning, because at first it started out as a memoir and then it morphed into self-help and then mm-hmm. went through a ton, a ton. I, it was the same process where, you know, we stripped it back to nothing and then brought it back to life. And I remember that process. And I just don't think, I just don't think I would have been able to pull that off alone. So I know, you know, how you said how at first you were wondering whether or not to get a book coach and what does that mean in terms of me as a writer? And I, I completely, you know, just resonated with that because that's how a lot of us feel, but it's so necessary in crafting a good story. And so I love that you said that. And so KJ, the book is a Reese Witherspoon book pick now. And that's amazing. Was that like a surprise? Tell us how you felt when they reached out to you and that whole process. It was a complete surprise. Um, It's actually kind of funny because so my publisher must have sent it. I had nothing to do with it. And my guess is that Reese Witherspoon has trucks of books written by women backing up to her house every day, making a beep beep sound, because I think she gets, she must get everything because she's, she has selected, you know, everything from memoir to complete and total nonfiction to short stories to, you know, she's all over the map in terms of what she likes. And I think very individual. It's still my understanding. She really, it's it's her. She picked it. Mm -hmm. She liked it, Mm -hmm. um, which was absolutely amazing. And it was kind of funny because, um, (laughs) I was on a walk with one of my friends and talking about, well, you know, it's going to be hard to promote this book. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Um, I think it was probably March or April. So everything that I had planned in terms of in-person events already clearly not going to happen. And, you know, this, this is a friend of mine who's like, I call her an idea cannon. When I tell you that she suggested that I like decorate my car like a chicken, that's the kind of ideas we were having at this point. So and drive around and get, yeah. So that's where we are. And I go home and my friend Mimi texts me and she's like, I have an idea. Did you know Reese Witherspoon has a book club? I just smacked myself in the forehead because I was like, yeah, that's like telling me that Oprah has a book club. Like, yes, 
I did know. That's like saying, I know, you know, it'd be really cool. What if Terry, you know, Terry Gross could interview you? Yes, that would be really cool. So I just laughed. And now my kids are like, Mimi magic this up. (laughs) She's like, you should figure out how to mail her your book. And I was like, I am. She's like, you can at least try. And I'm like, I am just not even, that is just, I'm just not, I'm not going to do that. Somebody has mailed. Yeah. Anyway, it was so far outside of anything that I imagined would happen. And then, yeah, so my editor called out of the blue one night while I was watching TV with my family, like you do during a pandemic. And I flipped over my phone and saw my editor's name and my heart just sunk because why would she call me? Like the book was in, you know, it was supposed to be published. We had already postponed it and, you know, it was finally going to be published. And like, I, I thought, honestly, I thought she was calling to say they decided not to publish it at all. Like, I thought she was calling to be like, you know, we're just going to hold it till after the pandemic. I just, my heart was in my tummy. And she's like, this is the best phone call I've ever made in my whole career. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. And then there was much shrieking and falling over and making her repeat it. And that's going to have to be a highlight of my career. I don't, that's... It was, it was so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember the exact point, you know, because I'm on your mailing list. I remember the exact point when you, you know, you sent out the email telling everyone that it had been delayed due to COVID. And I know that must have been disappointing because the process is already very long. And when you're an author, you feel it's just pregnant, ready to give birth. Right. And so mm-hmm. it just can't, can you imagine? And it just felt like, oh my gosh, everybody's always so sick of hearing me talk about this, right. you know, because we put it off fairly late in the process. I think it was May and then they put it off once and then put it off again. So I just felt like, cause they're actually, it's kind of funny because there's a book coming out next month. Um, it's called Superhost and it's by Kate Russo and it's the same publisher as mine. And mm-hmm. I think she got delayed a similar amount. I don't, I don't know. And I don't know her personally, but I had been continually seeing it to the point where I thought it was out. And that's how I felt like people would feel was like, well, this must be out already. I must've just not done anything. Like I just never saw it in any of the bookstores, but I heard about it. And then it just completely went away, which is just how I felt like people would, would feel. It's not, it's not actually how I feel about Superhost. I'm super excited to get Superhost. That's very much on my TBR, but I'd seen that happen. And I sort of had this vision that, oh no, you know, nobody's, nobody's going to buy it because they're going to be like, oh, I, that's, I've seen that a billion times. I don't want that, which is not at all how readers think. Yeah. Yeah. No, but for sure. I can put myself in your shoes in terms of the thinking mm-hmm. that, yeah, we're definitely losing some momentum here. We don't know what, you know, it's going to look like six months down the line already. The economy is tanking, you know, and all <laughs> these thoughts going through your mind as an author, which happens to all of us for sure, because we've waited so long to give birth to this book and yeah, and then it gets delayed. And now the book is a New York Times bestseller, which is (laughs) amazing. I mean, I definitely knew it would get there eventually, just a matter of time. And so that must be an amazing feeling because I remember when I, I don't know, we had an email exchange and I remember the day that you told me you were now switching to fiction, you know? And so that was a deliberate change. And, you know, in terms of your goals and, and your writing, and now here we are sitting down 
talking about this New York Times bestseller, which is, it feels surreal for me. So I know it must feel surreal for you. <laughs> uh, it really does. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I mean, I have had, I have had extraordinary success. I am very uh, careful with my friends about not letting them claim to have just been lucky. So I will say that I have worked hard and I have, and I have been lucky. Both of those things are absolutely true. I mean, I had extraordinary success as a journalist, as a nonfiction writer, you know, to, to have a job with the New York Times was an absolute dream. And then to be able to shift and have this kind of success as a novelist is I mean, did I hope for it? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, but did I really think it would happen? I no, um, no. <laughs> it's extraordinary, and it was a much longer road than it I think sounds like it was. And it's not like this is the first novel I ever wrote. I should add, it's I absolutely have a couple in the drawer, and one that I was really humiliated to realize I had actually let my mother and my across the street neighbor read. What was I thinking before? Oh, it's just I cringe. My mom's like, "Do you want me to send me the file?" And I'm like, "Yes, send me the file so I can burn it, take it off of your computer. Can't be good. It must be terrible." Anyway. Yeah. So it's been, you know, it's been a long road, but gosh, the amount of, yeah, I feel amazing. I mean, I'm, this is, this is great. I got no complaints other than the, you know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. That That's not my favorite. That's absolutely terrific. I like, I can't tell you how happy I am for you. So I know you can't go on tours, you know, to promote the book. So as no, although I did just make it a date in October that I am hoping to actually okay. be able to pull off. Okay. It's for my mother's town book club. So, you know, if I can get there, I will. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that that would be amazing. And so are you doing mostly online events and speaking? And It's all Zoom. It's all about okay. the Zoom. And that right. is, you know, I traveled for the last book and everyone who's ever traveled for a book, and it doesn't matter who you are, honestly, you invariably end up sitting in a bookstore with like the bookseller and one person who felt sorry when they wandered into the bookstore by accident <laughs> and is now stuck talking to you. Right. Um, that's, you know, I've been there. So I didn't have to do that because you can't, bookstores have gotten really clever and they don't really show you how many people are on the Zoom. So you can't actually tell. So there's that. But I feel bad about the Zooms because I've also been at some very successful live book events where, you know, I was at one, it was actually for a collection of essays that I was a part of. And we were in Boston and there were a lot of authors from Boston and people were really able to pull and the bookstore sold every one of its copies, ran down the street, got all the copies from another bookseller. You know, so it was super successful. And I don't think booksellers, I mean, I so appreciate that there's, in fact, I've got a, I've got a Zoom with a bookseller tonight. I've got another one next week. I love doing it. I don't think they get the book sales out of it in the same way that a successful mm -hmm. event would be. I try, to, I try to tell people, look, even if you've already bought mine, buy something else from them. Like, you know, if you're coming, buy a book somehow. But it's hard because then there's the whole barrier to entry of, well, I have to enter my credit card information on a whole new bookseller. And I already have it in my usual indie bookseller. At least I hope people do. Um, don't tell me you already have it in Amazon because I know you do. And Amazon does not need our book money, people. No, no giving book money to Amazon. Oh, I even did one with Indigo. Oh, you did? I did. Yeah. And it was super fun. And there, there at least people could kind of hit their local Indigos. I know there are recipes and some exciting things. And I'm, I'm hoping to see more in the future. And so KJ, can you tell our listeners kind of where to find you on social media and your website? Yes. 
So the best place to find me on social media is absolutely Instagram, where I have a bookstagram account. I am constantly recommending other books. Um, I love, I, I love reading. So it's mostly other people's books and a little bit of my book. Uh, and that is, I'm at KJDA on Instagram and super easy to find. And then I have a website, kjdelantonia.com. And there you will find links to, yes, recipes, a book club guide, which actually has the recipes in it. And there is also an epilogue to the Chicken Sisters, which I did not finish in time to get it into the book. In fact, I, <laughs> I finished it in October. So who are we kidding? Like I really was not even close to finishing it in time to get in the book. But so if anyone has read it and enjoyed it and would like an extra chapter, there's an epilogue and there's a link to that on my website as well. Okay, perfect. So once again, KJ, thank you so much for joining us on the show and congrats on your success. It's amazing. So happy for you. We'll continue to cheer you on on the show. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Holistic Wealth with Keisha Blair. Make sure to visit our website, KeishaBlair.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you will never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Are you a member of the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If not, what are you waiting for? Go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to choose your membership plan and join. As a member, you get so many perks free worksheets, advice, coaching, and a member's workshop to design an intentionally designed life. You need to figure out your life purpose? Take the Build Your Life Purpose Portfolio online self-paced course. You're struggling with all your money decisions? Take the free financial identities quiz and then take the course. You recently had a breakup, job loss, or experienced the death of a loved one? Take the holistic healing course. You need an overall plan to achieve holistic wealth? We will help you figure out your holistic wealth blueprint. And of course, if you want to start making money by helping others achieve holistic wealth, become a certified holistic wealth consultant. Regardless of what career you've got, the Institute will show you how to increase your income and walk in your purpose. The sooner you join, the sooner you start to achieve a more holistically wealthy lifestyle. And you're going to want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning best-selling Holistic Wealth 32 life lessons to help you find purpose, prosperity, and happiness. 